begin to exalt his name. It is your will and we are here for you. Oh, come on, can you just put your hands together for Jesus this morning? We worship you, Jesus. Oh, come on, put your hands together like this morning.
begin to lift your hands. Call on your God this morning. We call on you, Jesus. The name that is above every name. The name where sickness has to bow. This is the God of the breakthrough. Just lift up your voice. You see, Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He only comes where he's welcome. So right now, just with your own mouth, can you just ask him, say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We worship you. We worship you. King of glory. King of glory, come into this room. We invite you into our hearts, into our lives today, Jesus. Oh, we worship you. Jailer woke up. 
I don't know about you, I'd probably wake up too if the jail shook. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Young college uh, player, Les Henson, who played for Virginia Tech, had a game of his life when he was playing against Florida State University. So it was Virginia Tech and Florida State University. I love neither one of those universities. I am a UNC fan all the way. I, I bleed Carolina blue. And uh, so he was playing in this game and it was tied 77-77. Les was about 6-5 and he was a senior forward for Virginia Tech, and the game was tied, and Florida State had the ball in their possession. They drove down, and they shot the ball, and the ball missed, and Les grabbed the rebound with 2.2 seconds to go, and he slung the ball, and he was one foot from being out of bounds under the goal. He slung the ball toward his goal. And the crowd in the arena was silent as the ball just hurled 89 feet, three inches, and went swish. And he made the game-winning shot with an unbelievable play. What made that play so unbelievable was this right here. Les shoots the ball left-handed. But he threw the ball right-handed, 89 feet, 3 inches, and won the game that day. But he would have never made that shot if he had not have rebounded the ball effectively where he was able to throw the ball all the way to the other end of the court. How I many you know you're going you're gonna to win in life? If you're going to succeed, you've got to learn how to rebound successfully. Our first message, we said you have to have the right mentality in order to rebound. Not only that, but you have to learn to get position. You have to be positioned in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So you have need the right mentality. You need to position yourself. And last week we talked about this, owning it. That if you're going to re be a great rebounder in basketball, you have to own the paint. You and I have to own it. We have to take responsibility. And we got that out of the, of the life of Elijah where he owned it. To own it, you, ha you have to stop admiring yourself so much. Paul said, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Mean, don't exalt yourself. Don't give, go beyond your God-given grace that's on your life. Don't puff yourself up. So... Elijah had to stop admiring himself. Number two, he had to stop blaming himself. He no longer could play the blame game, blaming government, blaming Ahab and Jezebel and blaming God and blaming all those who are around him. And then he had to stop complaining. Say stop complaining. You have to stop complaining. And the fourth thing you're going to have to do if you're going to be a great rebounder, you've got to go up with your hands up. Every rebounder knows you got to jump if you want to get a rebound. Now, that's very difficult for me because I'm mighty white, 
and I can't jump very high. Now, I can dunk this one. Y'all need to get that. Just take it right about here. Put it on Twitter. You know what I'm saying? Man, my pastor can sky. Look how, look how high he is over the rim. But you have to... You have to position yourself after you get this right mindset. You have to own it. And then you have to go up. You actually have to jump. You have to get off the ground with your hands up. As believers, we need to go up to God if we're going to rebound in difficult situations with our hands up in surrender. We must have our hands up in surrender. Anybody want a basketball? Anybody want a basketball? You might want to take it home. You got a kid. You got a youth. Come get it. Come get it. I don't want to preach with it. I, you know, I've been preaching with this thing. This is like Wilson. Wilson! <laughs> it actually is Wilson. <laughs> no, Wilson, come back, Wilson. I'll take Wilson. <laughs> For all you guys that haven't seen that movie, that's Tom Hanks. He's deserted on an island. But you have to go up with hands extended. I was uh, in a hospital in 1997, November. It was called my dad had a heart attack. He was actually in the hospital when he went into cardiac arrest. I was pastoring a church three hours away in Augusta, Georgia. Parents, my mom called me or one of my siblings, one of my many siblings called me. Told me the situation, went home, drove three hours, got to the hospital late that night, walked into the IC unit, IC unit and ICU unit, and walked in and talked to my dad. And when I got in there, he was looking at me, and I said, Dad, what's wrong? He just patted his chest. And he said, It's my ticker. They say it's failing. He said, They've only given me three months to live. His voice was very solemn. I mean, you know, you live differently when you recognize that you have an expiration date. <laughs> we all have those expiration dates. You have the year you were born, and there's a dash, and the year you will die. Only God knows the year you will die. But it's the very important part of that equation. It's not just the beginning. It's not the end. It's that little dash in between how you live your life for eternity. So after I got all that news, uh, my mom went home and siblings went home. And I stayed there in the hospital with my dad by myself. And they wouldn't let me stay in the unit there, but they made me go to a family room. And I went in there. There was nobody in there. It was cold. So I turned the heat way up because I knew I was going to spend a night there. I'd probably sleep on the floor because there was no real good recliners or anything like that. But I was sitting there and I was talking to God. I said, God, what do you want me to do? Want me to do about this situation? This is a difficult situation, and uh, I just felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit just whisper to me. I mean, you know, God sometimes will come in an earthquake, a fire, or a wind, but sometimes it's the whispers of God. Yeah. I'm not Joe Biden, but it's the whispers of God. Just that's a little humor, folks. It's not. Don't say, oh, he hates Joe Biden. No, I'm just saying it's the whisper of God. I pray for our leaders. He spoke to me. He said, I want you to read Psalm 34. And I did not know what Psalm 34 was at the time. And, and so I just opened my Bible. I had my Bible because I was studying for Sunday. I would have to drive three hours back and, 
and preached. And for three months, I did that. I preached on Sunday, drove to my parents' house, helped them and uh, through the week, and they would drive back. I put 40,000 miles on a vehicle in one year and uh, just driving a whole lot that year. And I was sitting there, he said, turn to Psalm 34.1. And I read that, and it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. What God was saying to me in that moment, and as I realized that many years later, is this right here. If you're going to rebound through this situation, if you're going to get through this difficult situation in life, you're not going to get through it by complaining, by blaming. You're going to get through it through praising, by going up with hands extended. You're going to get through this difficult situation. So that day, I chose to worship God right in that family room in Scotland Memorial Hospital. And God taught me a valuable lesson on how to press through difficult situations with praise on my lips. Because the psalmist said, I will, meaning this right here, in every situation you have a choice. Will you praise God or will you complain? You see, complaining is draining. Not only does it drain you of strength, but it drains the people around you. How many of you love hanging out with a complainer? Any hands? Nobody loves hanging out with somebody who is constantly complaining. Why? Because that becomes draining emotionally, physically, mentally, and even spiritually. And so God says, I don't want you to complain about the hospital staff. I don't want you to complain about what's going on with your dad. I don't want you to complain with what's going on in your life. I want you to praise me, to focus in on praise and bless me at all times and let the praise of God be continually in your mouth. God was trying to teach me that victory was in my mouth. That if I would just praise him, he would be the God of breakthrough. Now, as we look at Acts chapter 16, this is Paul's second missionary journey, and he has this vision of this guy calling him to Macedonia to come help. And Paul, following the leading of the vision uh, and the vision that the Holy Spirit had given him, he went to Macedonia and he begins to minister. And there he finds a lady named Lydia. She was a seller of purple cloth. And she comes to salvation in Christ. She's baptized. And Paul and the disciples are marching around Macedonia preaching the gospel when this girl who was demon-possessed began to taunt them and began to worry them and stress them out by saying, these men are men of the Most High God. They're telling us how to be saved. And this is what she was saying constantly every day. She's taunting the men of God. She was demon-possessed. She had some owners and those slave owners made money through her because that demon in her could tell the future. And Paul got a little uptight and agitated. He turns around and says, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And the spirit comes out of her. But what happened at that moment was this right here. The slave owners who were cashing in on her gift 
to tell the future no longer had the ability to cash in on it. They became very upset. They take Paul and Silas in front of the magistrate and they are condemned. They did not know they were Roman citizens. And so they stripped them and they whipped them and they threw them into the inner cell of the prison. And that's where we catch the story. At about midnight, Paul and Silas, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Did you know praise is a sweet sound to others? It sounds sweet to others. It's sweet. You understand what I'm saying? See, praise is something everybody wants to hear. Nobody wants to hear the complaining, the murmuring. Nobody wants to hang around somebody who's got the Charlie Brown syndrome. Why is everybody picking on me? No, People love the sweet sound of praise because there's something about praise that lifts your spirit. Four or five years ago, I was going through a very difficult time in, in my life. And Tangie and I were just facing this one battle after another. And man, it, it almost was discouraging. You know what I'm saying? But every day I would come in, I noticed something that was happening in my home. Even when I couldn't verbally praise God, I had a little girl, her name is Peyton, and she was caught for about two and a half years. She always sang. Now she sings now. She's got a beautiful melodic voice. But she was constantly singing in our home. And every time I would come into our home, man, I would hear her voice singing. She would be running up the stairs, down the stairs. She would be watching TV and singing at the same time. She would be at the piano picking out notes and singing. She was writing songs. And she would just bell. I don't know how this voice came out of this little petite girl. But she was just belting out praise to God. And I discovered as she was singing praise to God, it was a sweet sound to me. And it brought comfort and peace to me. Amen. Did you know your sound, your praise is a sweet sound to others? Because we live in a culture of negativity. People by and large are negative. You go to work, you hear negativity about the boss, about the company, about other employees. You hear the talk around the water cooler, around the coffee uh, uh, pot. You hear all this negative stuff. Could it be that God wants his church to be a place of praise, not just on Sunday morning, but a People of praise all throughout the week, wherever we go, we become the sweet sound that other people listen to. See, Paul and Silas, they had a choice. They could have became very negative. It was a cold, dark place, and, and they could have gotten negative. I imagine that the other prisoners were negative. They were probably saying, man, look how big that rat is. It's cold. Ooh, who did that? It stinks. Can you imagine all the conversation going on in a prison in the first century in Rome? They were probably blaming everybody on the outside. There was probably a lot of negativity. But something pierced through the negativity of that prison. And it was the praying and the singing of hymns by Paul and Silas. 
They did not join the negative negativity choir. They said, no, we're going to change the very thing that's going on here. Praise sounds sweet to others. Look here. And praise shifts the atmosphere. Some of us are constantly begging God to do something he's empowered us to do. We're asking God to change our spouse, to change the atmosphere of our home, to change this, to change that. When God says, why don't you just open your mouth? I've put victory in your mouth. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. There is a sweet sound that you need to let out of your mouth. And when they begin to pray and sing hymns of praise, the Bible says suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of that prison were shaken. It, it changed and shift, shifted the atmosphere. Your praise has power to change the atmosphere. Praise is a powerful thing. Psalm 146 begins, praise the Lord. It ends with praise the Lord. Psalm 148 begins, praise the Lord. And it ends, praise the Lord. Psalm 149 begins, praise the Lord. And ends, praise the Lord. Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord. And it ends by saying this, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Meaning if you're breathing today, you were created to praise God. And so you get to choose whether negativity is going to come out, whether complaining or murmuring is going to come out, or whether you're going to choose to exalt God and praise His name. Your praise can shift the atmosphere. It can change your circumstances. It can change the atmosphere of your home. About two weeks ago, I went to visit my mom and went down into Carolina, and I was going to stay with my brother. You know, we... Asking before we got there, we didn't just show up like the Clampets, you know what I'm saying? We actually called and was courteous. And, and so we went to a birthday party before I went to my brother's house. And, and we had a great birthday party and stuff like that. And then I went to my brother's house and we walked in and we, you know, had our cordial conversation and stuff. And he said, well, your room is upstairs. He's got a beautiful house, about 4,500 square foot. Beautiful house on 48 acres. Nice house, about three years old, overlooks about a three-acre pond. It's, it's a pad, you know what I'm saying? It's a pad. And so I began to walk upstairs, but the higher I got up in the stairs, it, it, it felt warm. It felt warm, it felt hot. I'd be lying if I said it felt warm. It was hot. It was downright hot. It was like 78 degrees. I thought, man, I had died and gone to hell. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was hot. It was just hot. I just... I got up there and started putting my suitcase away. And my wife looked at me and she said, I can't sleep here. I said, I know, this is crazy. This, this, this mansion, and it's hot. Let's go sleep outside, baby, under the stars. You know, let's act like we're 19. And so I went down and said, man, you got to turn some air on, bro. He said, oh, man, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So he went up and came upstairs and took down his uh, little thermostat there and he punched in a code and while he was punching it in, I had my eye on it. <laughs> that code is 5110. 5110. And so I knew what he was doing. He was just gonna cool it off for about two hours until I drifted off to sleep. But Tangie and I are used to, to, to sleeping with it about 67, 68. 
I'm going to get up, you know, I'm going to be shivering under the cover. And so about 1.30 in the morning, it seemed like a heat cloud just settled over our bed. It felt like when you came out of the house this morning, it was muggy. I was like, man, I threw off the covers. My head was stopped up, man. I had this sinus pressure. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to get him. I walked right in the hallway, punched in 5110, and knocked that sucker way down about 66 degrees. It took just a little while. You know, there's something about my brother and his wife. They like saving money, but that's not where I want to save money. I want to sleep in comfort, amen? I'll save money by not going to Outback, not going to out to eat. You know, I won't buy the kids the best pair of shoes that they want. I'll save some money some other place. I won't run the roads, but I'm not saving money on air conditioning. I live in America. I'm used to having cold places. Come on, somebody. Uh, I come in here, Pastor Scott, and say, man, you're saying cut it down, it's 68 degrees. And I said, cut that sucker way on down, man. It's hot up on the stage. But when I hit those buttons, I had the code to change the atmosphere. God has given you the code to change the atmosphere of your home and your life. It's spelled P-R-A-I-S-E. It's praise. And if you'll use that, it will change the atmosphere of your own individual life. It'll change the atmosphere of your home. It'll change the atmosphere of your vehicle. You cannot constantly listen to talk radio, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, all the negativity out there and have a breakthrough in your life and live as an overcomer, you get to determine the atmosphere. Amen. I know you think it's somebody else. No, 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 no. Don't blame. Don't complain. God's empowered you. Some of y'all prayed today, Lord, please change my husband. No, God's empowered you to set the atmosphere. Quit begging God and start praising some of you, if you're new in here, you say, I've never heard a pastor talk like this. No, you're responsible. Some of y'all want to come here and, Pastor, I want you to change the atmosphere. Pastor Tandy, your melodic voice, woo, you can change the atmosphere. She can, but she ain't with you every day. She with me. She ain't coming to your house. Not unless you listen to her on YouTube or something. You have to open your own mouth. Get on the thermostat, put in 5110. Set that sucker where you want to live. How many of you know I get to determine the atmosphere of my home? Not my children. Amen. As the parent, I get to set the atmosphere. Some of y'all are letting outsiders determine what kind of out, atmosphere you're going to live in. I don't even let my kids determine what kind of home I'm going to live in. I set the atmosphere. This is the music we're going to listen to. Now, when you get a home, you get to decide which music you'll listen to. One day, I was going to walk in one of my kids' room, and they said, this is my room. No, I didn't see you make one payment on this sucker. This is my room that I let you borrow. I'm so tired of, of weak kneed parents. I can't, I, can't, I can't make this little two-year-old behave. What? What are you talking about? Come on, somebody. There's, there's, there's parental leadership. 
And I have to be a parent. I don't need my children parenting me. I get to determine the atmosphere, what's watched on the television, what's in all this, on their phone. I'm going to be a proactive parent. I'm not going to say, well, my kid's not on bad stuff. No, I'm going to check their phones when they least expect it. Sometimes my son is 22. He still lives in our home. Sometimes I'll just pick up his phone. I know he gets a little... Start squirming a little bit. I'm going to look at it. Well, that's his phone. He's got a right to privacy. Well, I paid for it last month. Now, when he starts making the payments, hey, it's you between you and God. But as long as I'm making the payments, I'm going to check it out. Amen. That's not mean. That's just, that's just, that's just playing my role in humility. I don't know how I got on it. Somebody need to hear this today. I didn't say this in the first service. Some young parents in here need to hear that. I'm going to empower you to be a parent. Amen. Amen. You can parent your children. So you got to stop complaining and start praising. Praise shifts the atmosphere and praise sets prisoners free. Look what happens. Paul and Silas's praise not only freed them, But every prisoner in that prison, their shackles came off and all the doors opened. Did you know your praise, especially in the corporate setting, like on Sunday morning, shifts the atmosphere. And somebody can walk in here bound, but if you choose to praise God and not just look at who's on the stage. Not wait to be primed up and coached up to praise. But if you'll just praise it sets your spirit free and it impacts the people around you. It, it does supernatural things. It said that once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Everyone's. And I believe there were some guys in that prison, though they were listening to Paul and Silas, they began to criticize Paul and Silas. They were like, what are these dudes doing? Do they not know where they're at, that they're in the inner cell? They're not getting out of this place. I believe they began to talk down on them. I believe they began to look at them like they're crazy. They were probably like Michael, David's wife in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 6. David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. He took it from Obed-Edom's house. The Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God. And as long as Obed-Edom had it in his house... His house was full of prosperity. How many of you know? If you get God back in your house, things change. Things change. And, and David said, no, I'm going to bring it back and put it back where it needs to be. And he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. And Michael, David's wife, saw him dancing before the Ark of the Covenant. He was just dancing with all his might. He was dancing and he was not ashamed to praise God. And because she despised him in her heart, the Bible says her womb became barren. Could it be sometimes our lives are barren because we've criticized the praise of others? Yeah. 
We come into church. You know, why are those girls on their knees? Why is that person running? Why is that person dancing? And we begin to look down on somebody else's praise when we don't realize where that person came from. You never should criticize somebody else's praise because you don't know what they went through to get that praise. Amen. They might have went through hard times, struggles, depression, bankruptcy, divorce. You don't know what that person went through to get Get that praise. And, and David decided in his heart that he was going to praise God with all his might. And he danced before the Ark of the Covenant. This was a king. Some of us come here on Sunday morning and we think we're doing God some kind of favor with a half arm praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Hey. Folks, this Jesus that you're praying for or praising to, he died for you. Amen. He took your place. Amen. He was buried. He was brutally beaten. He was resurrected. He came as you died, as you was buried, as you and was resurrected, as you. He deserves more than just your hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning of half-hearted praise. He deserves all your praise and adoration that you can give him. If you don't like praise, you won't like heaven because there's praise and worship continually around the throne of God day in and day and night. They're praising the Lamb of God. Amen. Well, I like a quiet church. I don't think heaven's going to be quiet. Why? Because there'll be all ethnicities there from every tribe, every nation, every creed, every color. And guess what? You might be lily white and like your soft praise, but I'm sure there's going to be some black folks up there. They're going to have them a B3 Hammond organ. They're going to be jamming, praising God. Amen. And it's not going to be segregated. It's not, not going to be a Baptist heaven, a Pentecostal heaven, a charismatic heaven, a Methodist heaven, a non-denominational heaven. No, we're all going to be there together, and we're all going to be worshiping God. We're all going to be blessing His name and honoring Him. So if heaven's going to be a place of praise, guess what? I might as well go ahead and praise God now. Might as well get in the habit of not complaining and praising God. Now, this set prisoners free. Look here. Last but not least, praise shakes the unsaved. Did you know praise is a form of evangelism? Why would anybody want to serve your God if you're just as negative as they are? Come to my church. No, no, sir. I'm not. I might get what you got. I don't want that. No, no, no. That junk might get on me. No, no. Praise is a form of evangelism. When I praise God, people are looking at me. And I believe many will say, man, I'm going to be like that. I know that person. They're going through the same thing I'm going through. They lost their job. They're they still got to praise. They, they still got a, a, a tear coming down. They're still looking up and they're going up and with hands extended, they're praising God. I mean, you know, it's in those difficult times when you go up with hands extended that you're preparing yourself for a rebound. Yeah. That God will turn that situation around in your life. Amen. You got a choice today, church. Are you going to complain? Or are you going to praise? Look what it says. It says that when when that that man came in there, that prison guard came in there, 
The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Yep. I don't know about you, but that man, he saw what happened. He saw and felt the prison shake. He, saw the, he, he heard the chains fall off, the doors open. He said, man, I want to serve your God. I want to serve your God. I mean, a church should not be an unhappy place. Now, unhappy people should come to church. But I believe as they're in the atmosphere of praise, guess what? Their unhappiness turns to happiness. Their depression turns to joy. Their sorrow turns to happiness. Their hopelessness turns to hope. There should be a divine transition and replacement that takes place on Sunday mornings. Some of you have come in here with a promise. And you're, you're saying, I don't know how it's going to be fulfilled. I think you know God's a promise keeper. But here's the deal. Paul received a vision to go to Macedonia. God already knew that Paul was going to be beaten and stripped and thrown into prison. And God never intervened. Why? Why? Why didn't God just stop the flogging? Why didn't he stop the stripping? Why didn't he stop the mockery? He's sovereign. And he wants us to exercise our God-given authority and praise him despite the circumstances. Bad things happen to good people. But I get to choose how I respond to the negativity. And I choose to respond Bless the Lord at all times. You might be saying, Pastor, how can I stop complaining? How can I stop complaining? You stop something by starting something. You stop complaining not by stopping complaining. You stop complaining by start praising. Amen. You just change what's coming out of your mouth. You just change it. You just change the words. Who does that? You do. I do. Negativity is just broken focus. I'm focused on the negative. Praise is just I'm putting my focus on the positive thing, the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the mercy of God. You would, let's please stand. Shout on faith. Something about a shout. They went around the wall seven times and they shouted those walls came down. Amen. I'm going to count to three. Can we just shout? One, two, three. Shout. Yeah.
with Ethan. Just his spiritual life. He had, my girls were all in church and they were serving and they were involved in ministry and my son was running. Many of you know, you can easily get caught up in the world around you and he was in the football life and he was being pulled and he had to come to a place where he had to make the choice to follow after Jesus. And I remember I got up on January, in January of 2015 and I have it written here in my Bible. The Lord spoke to me and he said, Tangie, it is impossible for me to do nothing when you step out in faith and do something. And I remember that day I sowed a specific seed for my son's life. You see, I knew that there was a calling on his life. I knew that God had placed a calling on all my children, but I knew that the enemy wanted to take him out. I knew that the enemy wanted to make him stumble with drugs and girls and, and all of these things. And that day I put a deposit on my faith and I sowed a seed on behalf of my son. And I can stand before you today. Yes, Ethan went away to school. He got caught up in some of that stuff. But let me tell you, he could not run but so far because God had his hand on him. I'll never forget the day. <laughs> and it makes me get emotional. I was sitting in my van. And you know he's not a little guy. He's this, he's a he's a he's a huge guy. You know, he taps you on the shoulder and everything. But I remember him looking at me and he, we were taking him back to the airport and he looked at me with his big green eyes and tears were coming down his face and he said, I can't go back, Mom. I can't go back. I can't do it. I can't serve God and go back. But I have, Mama, I have to do what God's called me to do. <laughs> you see, in that moment, I could have got mad because of a scholarship. I could have got mad, you know, because of the money that we had put, put into his schooling and all of these things and I could have looked at the natural but the spirit of the Lord at that moment said yes, yes this is the moment you have been waiting for he can no longer run he can no longer run and I remember that day there was a turn it wasn't overnight but that began the process of my son's healing and now my son is an active ministry here at Ridge Church serving God's people. Listen, don't you ever give up on what God has told you. Don't ever give up on the miracle that God has put before you. Some of you are standing in this room and you are believing for specific things. Listen, in 2015, that word still stands. Tangie, it is impossible for me to do nothing when you step out in faith and do something. So right now, in this moment, I want them to sing the bridge of this one more time. If you're in this room and you have a need, I want you to step out in faith. You say, why do you ask us to come forward? Well, by coming forward, it says, Lord, I step out in faith. I step in to what you're calling me out of. So it's like a step of faith. I push forward. I push forward, and it's an act of faith to come forward. And I want to pray for you. Come on. Come on, team. Begin to see that bridge. If you're in this place and you have a need, I want you to come up here. Don't you tell me we can't do it. Don't you 